In this episode, we're going to address espionage in the news again, looking at one of our recently prosecuted after several years on a previous attempt CIA officers who compromised national security. There will be a link down in the show notes, and it's a good follow-up to mention a few things based on one of our previous podcasts about people knowing things, as well as me doing a follow-up on something I missed there that I promised to do, and a couple other little tidbits. So espionage in the news. When our own people betray us, that's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. So as I try to, when I miss something and catch myself or somebody lets me know, I want to do a follow-up. So in our previous episode, we walked through the one with the question that got asked regarding conspiracies and assassinations, things people know, and I argued why we wouldn't just take people out. One of the things I forgot to mention at the end was in the question he had asked about, should we be whistleblowers or words to that effect? And to answer that, I should clarify something I didn't put in that podcast. One is... Everything I was describing was based on what the U.S. government does now and in recent history. That's not to say other governments don't do those things. Everything you describe absolutely does happen in some countries. We've even seen them. They still make the news all the time in Russia, and they're not the only ones. There are people that, under some of those certain situations, do get taken out by their own governments or whoever in the government makes it happen, whether anybody knows about it or not. So there's that to point out. That does happen. I was speaking mainly for our own country. The other thing we should take a look at, too, is you mentioned whistleblowing. In the United States, there's a lot of whistleblower protections. There's only one situation in which they don't apply, and nobody that I have seen or heard of that's been brought on charges, accused of anything, falls under that, and there's still ways to deal with that situation. But the whistleblower protection laws are there and should be taken advantage of. They should be well-researched and a high-powered attorney who understands that things should be retained for any type of situation if somebody believes they're in it. So that's definitely what we're looking at. In other countries, I'm sure there are similar laws, but there are countries where that would be extremely dangerous to do and could cost you dearly, like your life. But from the U.S. standpoint, being in this country doing that, you definitely would want to talk to an attorney and be familiar with that and decide... You know, is this something that really is that big that I can end up on trial somewhere? Or is it just a situation where, like most of them, things are going badly. They're not being addressed. I want to bring this out publicly so they can be addressed and people can be informed and hopefully not just get fired for doing so. That's the reality of most situations. Now, looking at this article, which will be in the show notes, there is, when you go to this article at the bottom of it, there'll be the same image that's on the main article with, Previous entries, this is from BBC World News, where they have articles going back a few years. This goes back several years, to be clear on that, and this is about a CIA guy, they call him a hacker, whose main job was to create software for them, named Schulte, which is funny. I actually worked with a guy named Schulte, not this guy. He was a dirtbag too. But it says uh, he was convicted of sending the agency's Vault 7 cyber warfare tool to the whistleblowing platform. That would be WikiLeaks. So Vault 7 is out there. You can look that up. This guy, he, he of course, denied the allegations, as most people do. It was a 2017 action where they tracked 8,761 documents revealing how officers, intelligence officers, hacked smartphones overseas and turned them into listening devices. Things I've talked about before. It's funny, too. I remember a few years ago talking about this. Uh, confirming some of this stuff or at least suggesting certain things were possible and people blew them off. 
I think some of the stuff too it talked about or we'll talk about in this article is even smart TVs just a few years ago people were talking about that and there was always this argument about well you know the companies do that and do it for the same purposes they use like Alexa to get information to sell you stuff but you know the government doesn't have that ability or other people say no the government definitely spies on you with that but you know the private sector isn't smart enough to do that to make money it's like yeah they they both can do that now it says there was a lot of unnecessary adjectives, but it's mostly from the prosecutors. He was tried in New York by the U.S. Attorney's Office. They called it a devastating effect of our intelligence community, providing critical intelligence to those who wish to do us harm. And just making fun of the language. That's fairly accurate as far as the results. Now, one of the things is when these things go into public, into trial, there's always things you're not going to hear about, and there's always going to be classified information that doesn't get presented. And if anything like that does get presented to the judge, it'll be in their chambers. However they work that out, a lot of it won't. So part of the issue here is when you're dealing in that world where everything's classified, especially under clearance levels that are very difficult to get into, you really got to have your ducks in a row when you're going to prosecute people. It doesn't take much to go through like the Inspector General's office and fire people. But if you want to prosecute from the crime, you have to get other people involved, which all these agencies, when they get people involved, and it's mentioned in this article, the FBI is always that enforcement agency that gets involved because they have clearances, they have people in the national security branch at the FBI that do counterintelligence for this nation. They're able to work together and provide that information. And the FBI as law enforcement experts are able to take this information and classified information and figure out what stuff, you know, we definitely can't share any of this. And then we're looking at these things here that we can put in court or bring charges against, and then they do their investigation in order to do that to put this person away. So the idea is you want to punish the criminal, you want to stop the activity, but you don't want to give up sources and methods and secrets and all that kind of stuff. That's why they work with the FBI on that. Another speaking to the idea of when people know things, you know, they're not just removed because of that. Like this guy, it's because of what they do. It said after he joined agency in 2010, so 12 years ago, he achieved the highest security clearance, which they have multiple clearance levels there, so that very well could be true. He worked in Langley, and he designed a suite of programs used to hack computers, iPhones, and Android phones, and smart TVs. It was said that he, in 2016, just six years after he worked there, which is also the same year I believe he quit working there, he transmitted the stolen information to WikiLeaks and then lied to FBI agents about his role in the leak. I'm not sure in the exact dates when... They're saying this first happened and when he quit working there. But he did quit working there. Now, one of the things about this, too, is that, just a fun fact, if you're being interviewed by the FBI and you know it's the FBI, the smartest thing you can do is ask them is, is, if this is an actual investigation. If you don't ask them that, assume it is, and here's why. It is a crime to lie to the FBI. You know it's the FBI and you lie to them, you can be prosecuted for it. That's part of the reason why this gets brought up. They added, this would be the prosecution, that he was motivated by anger over workplace dispute in which his employer ignored his complaints. So somewhere in his chain of command or supervisor chain, he had an issue with workplace dispute, probably an issue with another person. The engineer had been struggling to meet deadlines. This is a claim they made. They may be able to prove that. Of course, when it comes to a lot of the software stuff, a lot of people miss deadlines. It depends on how long they're working at it, how realistic they're doing. Are they the only person doing it? There's a lot of things that could make this kind of a petty argument, but it may very well be legit. doesn't matter either way. You're always going to add extra things in. 
He said, one of the projects was so far behind, he had a nickname called Drifting Deadline. Maybe very well true, but that goes to character. That's why they bring that up. They alleged that he wanted to punish those he perceived to have wronged him and carry out that revenge. He caused enormous damage to the country's national security. Now, the argument for the defense was they had no evidence. He was motivated by revenge and called the argument pure fantasy. Well, he did finally get convicted. The first trial was, I think, a mistrial or something. They were deadlocked. The jury was over actually some of the more serious charges. But he apparently did enough that they convicted him. So my thought would be, okay, was this the defense couldn't provide reasonable doubt and there was just enough there to really make them look bad and they cleaned up their, you know, the prosecution cleans up their argument of the first time? Or is it because he knows how classified stuff works that he's thinking, here's the things I know for sure they can get me on and they're not going to bring this out publicly. So that's entirely possible too. The prosecutors urged jurors to consider evidence of an attempted cover-up, including a list of chores he had made contained an entry reading, and these are in quotes, delete suspicious emails. Yeah, that's bad. This speaks to, this won't be, this sort of speaks to tradecraft in a second. Later on it goes, after his arrest, he attempted to transport more information. He smuggled a phone into jail where he was being held. He attempted to send a report of information about agency cyber groups. Attempted, that means he didn't succeed, but they tracked that information. Drafted tweets means wasn't published, included information about cyber tools, under his pseudonym, Jason Bourne. What a moron. So, while it's entirely possible he followed some trade aspects, typically no, because a lot of this stuff wouldn't have been done this way. Additionally, speaking to technology, as far behind as we are in the technology game, we're so far advanced more than what people realize. When you're using technology, it's not hard to figure it out. Like, they may not have known that he got a phone in jail, although they were probably tracking something like that. But if he logs into that Twitter account and they were likely already suspecting it, probably because of where it was created at the time, he wasn't thinking this through. That's how they figured out he did it. It's got to be something along those lines or things a little more specific than that. But it speaks to the idea again when I talked about most of the people who work at these agencies are not spies. Most of them don't have any tradecraft skills. Most of them are nine to fivers. Might be shift work, but it's the equivalent of that. Very few of them are the people that really know things and know how to get things done. Says he's been in jail since 2018, and yeah, the original case was declared a mistrial. He also found like some child porn and some other stuff he denied. Could this stuff have been planted? I suppose. But the thing is, if the government really wanted to screw somebody and plant information, they'd do it so well, it'd be beyond question. But they don't do that because there's always a risk there. And it's also, again, not the movies. Like in the movies, they're always planning things and it's, you know, it's so overwhelming, it's unrealistic, but people freak out or it's, well, they do it and they kind of like this, they do it and they get a mistrial and they go back again. You know, that's what they want you to think. That's not how that stuff works. And the last part of this article says it comes as Julian Assange faces extradition to the U.S. over documents he leaked about 10 years ago. Which they said, officials say, broke the law and endangered lives. Um, Yeah, definitely broke the law. So, and I did, I think in the title I mentioned Assange. I think it was the Ethical and Moral Dilemma was the podcast where I talk about ethical and moral dilemmas and how they do and don't play into this work and how people consider these things. But it's to look at the idea to understand that this stuff happens all the time, even in our own country. People tend to get caught. Other people haven't been caught? Sure. There's, it's like anything. 
There's probably people out there doing this. We're not even aware of it. And we spend a lot of time looking at our own people, but a lot more time looking at foreign adversaries in our country. Like I mentioned, the Chinese that we kicked out some years ago because it happens so much and it's so dangerous. Oh, I just, I just did a bug. One of the things that's looked at is motivations. We look at that when we recruit people. They look at that when they hire people. It's a big factor of analyzing people in this world, whether they're going to work there, we're going to hire them to work for us, whatever we're doing. In the article, basically lays out his motivation as a workplace dispute and being disgruntled because that wasn't handled properly. It brings the question of, well, there probably wasn't any foreign adversarial stuff in there, him getting paid uh, necessarily, because that usually would get brought up to some degree, unless that's so sensitive they don't want to do it. The other thing is, how bad was it? If that was really his motivation, like what really happened to take a guy that gets through all those background checks, all those interviews, all those security checks, you know, he's doing this job, he's handling sensitive information like they all do, and he just flips over this. That's what I would really want to know. But it's also to say that it doesn't take much. In the same way that sometimes when we'd convince people to give us information or guys have gone out and recruited assets in foreign countries or when I used to interrogate terrorists or insurgents or just some dude that might know something who happened to be there, we always think there's this big overarching plan or all this effort is going to take to get people to talk to us or to do something or switch teams, whatever it is. Sometimes it's not that much. Sometimes it just need to be disgruntled and that might be all it takes. There are plenty of people out there that became bad guys in war zones because of the way U.S. forces or coalition forces treated them, having no intention of doing it, but they saw something really bad affected them enough that they're like, yeah, this is, I'm going to be a bad guy now. Not totally understanding what we're doing, and even if they did, doesn't mean it would justify to make it okay. Sometimes it's just little dumb shit, so it's really hard to say. But if you have any more questions like this or you have other topics or other articles, you can send them to me, and I'll definitely take a look at it. There's been several in the news in the last few months. This one is just a couple weeks old. I thought everybody might enjoy this. A little espionage in the news again. And then we got some future episodes coming up. At least one or two more. With some questions that some of you have sent in. So definitely take advantage of that record button. Send me your 60 second message and your question. And we'll answer it right here on the show.